Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. So he explained, up until this point, that Moses says, what, what is Hashem asking of you? All he's asking of you is to fear Hashem. And the Talmud says, what do you mean all he's asking of you? Is this a trivial thing? And he answers, the Talmud answers, that compared to Moshe, it's a trivial thing. Because compared to Moshe, to fear Hashem is trivial. And the question was, but that doesn't answer the question. Yes, compared to Moshe, but the Torah is speaking to each and every Jew, including each and every one of us. How could you say that to fear God is trivial? We know how difficult it is. We can all personally testify. And the answer is that it's referring to the Moshe within each and every one of us. The level of Moshe. Moshe is called the shepherd because Moshe represents, embodies the ability of Das, the ability to deepen, to go deep, to have a connection, a feeling, a personal connection, conviction, where godliness is something that's personal and real and alive. And Moshe is the one who gives, who nurtures, who nourishes. He's the shepherd, the faithful shepherd, who nourishes, who gives us this ability to be able to feel godliness, to sense godliness, that it should come alive for us, personalize it. We should have the ability to internalize it. That's in general. More specifically, there's a spark of motion, all the leaders of the generation, the eyes of the generation. There's a spark of motion. When you're connected to the leaders of the generation, those who teach Torah, those who embody Torah, even those who don't teach, just by their being, you look at them and there's something godly and holy about them and it ignites the spark within you. It makes godliness come alive in a very personal way. And it helps you, it affects you. It affects you emotionally, psychologically, it affects you personally. And you take it to heart by looking at them and being connected to them, the tzaddikim, the holy, the saints of the generation who have a spark of Moshe, they make Judaism come alive for you in a very personal way. And then, on a more intimate level, it's the ability that each and every one of us has to go deep, to connect, to focus, to concentrate, to truly internalize our faith and to truly internalize that sense of godliness, where God becomes something that's real to us, alive and real and relevant and current and here and now and actual. This is the ability of Das that each and every one of us has, but Moshe is the one who nourishes it and nurtures that ability. But it's not enough. Why isn't it enough? Because we are, after all, we are human beings. Yes, we have that ability, that innate ability, that divine ability, that soul ability to connect, to go deep. But we're human. 
and our soul is not disconnected from the rest of us. Our soul reveals itself through its connection to the body. And our body is, is very coarse, our egos. Our egos are the antithesis of everything that's godly and good and refined. And that's us. And our soul has to work with the ego. The soul can't pretend that the ego doesn't exist, that the body doesn't exist. We're not disembodied souls. We're alive. We're live human beings. By definition, that means that our soul reveals itself and expresses itself through our bodies, through our ego soul, our natural souls. So therefore, even though we have this ability to connect with godliness, but this ability is quite covered up. How do you overcome this? How do you deal with the body? So because we're dealing with the human beings who by nature are very much attached, we feel a very deep attachment, a very deep connection to material things, not to spiritual things. For us, spirituality is something otherworldly and it's something that's vague and fuzzy and it's not something that's immediate and actual. So how do we make godliness come alive for us in a very real way, in a very concrete way, in a very actual way? So this takes tremendous effort. Yes, we have that potential. But the potential, like he's going to say, he's like, yes, the world, the earth has potential. There's water. If you dig deep enough, you'll find water. And the water is there. You don't have to, you don't have to bring the water there. The water is there. But to get to the water, you're going to have to dig. And dig very deep. And even deeper. To remove all the obstacles. And sometimes you have to dig so deep. right? They just discovered oil, I think, six miles underneath the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> they never went so deep before. Till they hit the gold. So you know the gold, the black gold is there. But until you hit it, it's going to cost you tremendous effort, tremendous dedication. So, or fear of Hashem is something that maybe is natural. It's innate, inherent. We have that ability, we have that instinct, we have that connection, that das. But the, the, it's only a potential. But to actualize that potential... To be able to work through your body and to work through, to actualize that potential, it's tremendous, tremendous effort. And he says it's a double effort. Firstly, you have to remove all the obstacles. And once you've already removed all the obstacles, it's not enough. Now I have to pump it out. <laughs> I've dug deep and I've removed all the obstacles and I've discovered the well water. But and now I have to get the well water to the surface. To the conscious level. How do I get the well water to the conscious level? So it's another effort. Just to, to be able to pump it out, to be able to actualize it, to be able to make it a conscious force in your life. To take this sense of fear, this sense of, sense of reality of Hashem, and to make it a real force in your life, it takes tremendous effort. Double effort. Firstly, removing all the physical obstacles that are in the way. The coarseness, the ego, the arrogance, the materialism. On the other hand, 
the effort, tremendous effort to be able to develop this ability and to be able to bring it up to the surface to make it a conscious, vibrant, viable force in your life that will actually change your life and affect your behavior otherwise, yes, potentially we're all very rich potentially we're all billionaires but that's the tragedy of the human condition that 999 out of 1,000 never realize their potential. That's the promise of the educator. Why would an adult spend his, his adult life with little children? Every year they grow younger and he grows older. <laughs> Instead of hanging, most people like to hang out with their peers, their own age. But which adult would choose to hang out with kids? Which talented adult? The answer is because the a true educator is someone who looks at the child, the light in their eyes, the sparkle. Children are so full of potential. That's all they are, raw potential. And they're hoping maybe this is going to be the one out of a thousand, the one child is going to live up this potential, is going to realize this potential. And it's all worthwhile just to be able to cultivate this diamond, to be able to be that one out of a thousand that's going to be fully cultivated, fully developed. So potential, we're all very rich. Potential, we're all billionaires. But how many actually actualize that potential? How many actually make that withdrawal? The money's in the bank. We all have that ability. <laughs> we all have that mo- the motion inside of us. We all have that Moses inside of us. We all have that ability. We all have that spark. That wealth. Immense wealth. We inherited it. It's there. We have... But how many people could access it? How many people know how to make that withdrawal? How many people know to, to translate it into action, into thought, into speech, into action, to know how to enrich your life, to live a rich life, a wholesome life, a rich life? This takes tremendous effort. It says everything is in the hands of God except the fear of God. Because even God can't help you. God gives us everything. This world is filled with potential. God gave us all the potential in the world. God's hands are tied. I gave you all the potential, but you gotta, you got to work. In the history of mankind, this never happened before. That you'll tie your hands and God will feed you. Never happened. You'll starve to death. God performs miracles. Why can't God feed me? God loves me. Why can't he feed me? It's never happened. You have to pick up your hand, pick up the fork, and lift the food to your mouth, and put it into your mouth. And you have to chew. So God gives us potential, full of potential, raw potential. But God says, I, I can't help you further. It's up to you. You have to make the effort. You have to lift up your pinky. Put your pinky in cold water. A little effort, a little exertion. But he's saying, to realize the riches of fear of Hashem, of awe of Hashem, which grounds you and really is the cornerstone of your life and sets your life on a, on a, on a real course, consistent, enriching course, you're going to have to work very hard. This is your treasure. This is your Fort Knox. You're going you're to have to work very hard. There's only so much I can do. The potential is there. Moshe 
The faithful shepherd is giving us all, all the, the abilities are all there. But now it, the ball is in our court. It's up to us. A double effort. On the bottom of page 614. Second paragraph from the bottom. Only. Only since the soul has clothed itself in the body, needs a great and mighty exertion, doubled and redoubled in order to feel and be attached to Hashem. While it is proved that the soul has this capacity by dint of its being nurtured from the soul of Moses, for with the soul lacking this capacity, then even the greatest effort would be of no avail. For how can a created being possibly comprehend and feel its creator? How can a soul enclosed in a body feel and be bound to godliness? Nevertheless, even after possessing this capacity, it requires a prodigious effort to actually comprehend and feel godliness. This effort alone wouldn't be enough. Because even if a person is brilliant, and even if a person understands, philosophically understands God, but it's not real to us. Godliness is so abstract to us. It's anything that's spiritual is abstract to us, let alone godly, infinite, undefined. We can understand it, we can articulate it, we can explain it, but could we really relate to it? Could we feel it as a reality? Without Moses, without our connection to Moses, godliness is not real to us. We don't have the capacity to truly internalize it, integrate it, and really connect it. Moses is the embodiment of godliness. Moses senses godliness. Moses to Moses. God is so alive and so real. Face to face. God spoke to Moses face to face. It was so real to him. And it's that enthusiasm and that sense of reality sensing the reality of God, that Moshe is able to convey to each and every Jew. So without that divine ability on our own, we would never be able to accomplish this. Yes, we can be brilliant, intelligent. It's not a question of intelligence, not a question of brilliance, not a question of eloquence. It's a question of reality. Is godliness real to us? And it's not. It's so remote to us. It's so distant from us. It's so otherworldly for us. So without Moses, we don't even get to first base. But even when we have Moses, that doesn't mean that you're off the hook. And this was the whole novelty of the Chabad movement over all the other Hasidic groups. Alter Rebbe felt very strongly about this. This is the whole revolution within the Hasidic movement. The other Hasidim relied on the tzaddik, relied on the holy person, on the saint. Be connected to the saint, be connected to the Rebbe, and his energy will carry you already. You'll ride on his coattails. And the Rebbe says, no, the chassid is not off the hook. You have to roll up your sleeves, and you have to be fully engaged, and you have to work hard. Because a Rebbe is like, you know, when you dig, when you, when you go... Uh, when you dig in the coal mines, you're going deep under the ground. So you need a good guide. You need, otherwise, you can be buried alive. But yet, every coal miner has to have a supply of air. Your guide cannot breathe for you. You have to breathe for yourself. Or if you go deep sea, deep sea diving. So again, you need a brilliant mind to be able to show you where, how to go, and how to do it. But everyone has to have their own supply of air. 
you have to breathe for yourself. It's your life. So you have to be fully engaged. The Rebbe can guide you. The Rebbe could connect you with godliness. The Rebbe could make godliness come alive for you. And you have to be connected to a Rebbe. Without a connection to Moses, without a connection to a tzaddik, to a Rebbe, you really have no real sense of godliness. You have a healthy sense of ego, healthy sense of brilliance of mind, but no sense of godliness. A Rebbe embodies godliness and holiness. And you must be connected to the Rebbe. But being connected to the Rebbe doesn't let you off the hook. You have to be fully engaged. And you have to, as he says here, tremendous effort, great and mighty exertion. This is for real. This is not a token effort. It's your life that's on the line. Your life depends on it. Your supply of ear. You have to have your own supply of ear. If you don't engage, if you're not fully engaged, if you don't really work very hard on cultivating and developing this sense of godliness, this raw potential that Hashem is giving you, that the Rebbe is giving you, and connecting you with Hashem, but unless you unleash this potential, and truly develop this potential, nothing will come of it. And just, you can't just rely on the Rebbe. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. The Rebbe can't breathe for you. Just like he can't eat for you. It's your life. He can guide you. He can help you. He can... But even God himself, his hands are tied. Everything is in the hands of heaven except the fear of God. You have to want it. It has to be yours. You have to own it. You have to take responsibility for your life. You have to exert yourself. And it takes tremendous effort. It's worthwhile. Because then you'll unleash this tremendous potential and and you'll tap into all these riches that are yours. It's your inheritance. It's yours. But you've got to take possession of it. All the possibilities are given to us. God gives us everything. All the possibilities are there, presented right before our very eyes. Hashem says, now it's up to you. Have the wisdom. Have the courage. Have the strength. Hashem begs with us, please with us. Please. Have the wisdom, have the courage, have the strength to realize the potential. Be the one in a thousand that realizes the potential. Don't sleep through life. Okay. And he says a double effort. Why the double effort? First. First is the exertion of the flesh. To throw off the bodily shackles, to pound the body, to weaken its corporeality, and gain its submission, so that it shall not obscure the light of the soul, thus making it possible for one to understand and feel godliness. As has been mentioned above in the name of the Zohar, that a body into which the light of the soul does not penetrate should be crushed, this being accomplished by means of penitential reflection from the depths of the heart, as is explained here. When one has weakened the grossness of the body so that it hinders no longer, it becomes possible for the light of the soul to be manifest. This, then, is one manner of exertion known as exertion of the flesh. He doesn't mean that the body crush the body, physically crush the body, or crush the body, the body should be weak, physically weak. Jew has to be strong. It's part of the Torah. You have to take care of your body. You have to be healthy. You have to be vibrant. You have to be vigorous. But he means the ego. 
the arrogance. When a person is arrogant, when a person is self-centered, when a person is self-absorbed, there's no room for soul. There's no room for light. There's no room for godliness. There's no room for love. There's no room for selflessness. There's no room for kindness. There's no room for goodness. There's no room for wholesomeness. The coarser a person is, the more arrogant the person is, the more self-selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed the person is. There's no room for anything. A full cup, you can't fill a full cup. A person who's full of himself, a person who's so taken with himself, a person who's so precious in his own eyes, and everything that he wants is so precious, and if he doesn't get his way, he has a temper tantrum, and it's the end of the world. Such a person is not a vessel for godliness. You have to be empty. An empty cup you can fill. If a person is seeking, a person is searching, a person, <coughs> a person feels a restlessness, a person is a seeker, a person is open to grow, a person is open to change, a person is open, that person can create a space that allows the soul to be manifest consciously. But if a person is, is so egotistical, there's no room for growth. So how do you break the body? Not break it, crush the body physically, but crush the arrogance, the haughtiness, the foolish arrogance. Through, he says, through deep thoughts of teshuvah, of repentance, a broken heart. There's nothing more whole, as the Ruzhan Rebbe said, there's nothing more whole than a broken heart. When a person's heart is broken, our humanity emerges. Suddenly you see a mensch. Someone who's considerate, someone who's kind, someone who senses another human being besides himself. One of the signs when a person knows that he's very off course, when a person is very smug, content, self-satisfied, when a person is very self-satisfied, you know you're very off course. When you become very harsh and critical of others, you're very off course. Because a person who's broken-hearted, a person who looks deeply into himself and realizes his own flaws and realizes how far we are from our potential, not judging ourselves in comparison to others, we're judging ourselves in comparison to ourselves, how far we are from who we, we can be, the abilities that Hashem gave us, you know, we're so far from our dreams and so far from what we could be and what we should be and look at the way we are. When a person is busy thinking about himself, not in a self-centered way, but thinking about himself in an in a honest way, in a healthy way, thinking about yourself, a little self-introspection, a little honesty, a little honest feedback, then you have a broken heart. When you have a broken heart, you're not criticizing. You're too busy with your own faults. I have problems. I'm going to fix the world's problems and I can't even take care of myself. And then you're gentle and kind to the other person. You see their flaws, but you listen. Look at my flaws. He's better than I am. Then the humanity emerges. Menschlichkeit, kindness, gentleness, goodness. The more broken a person is, the more a mensch he is. The more a soul he is. The more spiritual he is. The more open he is for spirituality. <coughs> the more arrogant the person is, the more self-taken the person is. The and then you know the person is very off, delusionary. The person can be so off and so the fantasies and delusions and almost psychotic, disconnected from reality and so disconnected. So this is the arrogance that has to be broken.
and it's 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 one versus the other. When the ego is strong, the more egotistical a person is, arrogant a person is, the soul is weak. The soul can't emerge. The soul is trapped. The more the the weaker, the more crushed the body is, the ego is, the more broken hearted you are, the soul emerges. Like the seed. In order for the seed to grow, to sprout, the seed has to rot. The seed, the physical seed has to rot. When the ego rots, now the soul can grow, can flourish. Like fire. Soul is compared to fire. How do you unleash the energy? Something has to give. The wood has to give. If the physical doesn't give, if the physical is content and satisfied and doesn't budge and doesn't move and doesn't change, there's no energy. There's no fire. There's no warmth. There's no light. You can't release the energy. It's there, but it's trapped. But when the, when the physical material gives up, the soul, the energy, the fire emerges. So it's one versus the other. You can't have both. You can't be, you can't be here and there. So make up your mind. So this is the first um, effort that he discusses. The first effort is to remove the obstacle. You have to get the ego out of the way. This foolish arrogance, this foolish smugness and self-contentness and, and, and this, this, has to, this has to go. You have to get it out of the way. It takes a tremendous effort. Like the Zohar says, a body with a soul, you can't light the soul, you can't light the fire of the soul. You don't feel any fire, you don't feel any heat, you don't feel any warmth, you don't feel any inspiration. You have to crack. Just like a piece of wood. When the fire doesn't take, you gotta, you got to hit the wood. Make sure that the fire can grab hold of the wood. Something has to give. So it's a time of doing teshuvah. You have to look, you have to do introspection, you have to look uh, very deeply inside, and you have to shake yourself up a little. Stir things up a little. Get out of your complacency. Get out of your foolishness. Childishness. So you have to shake yourself up. That's, take, that's the first effort. That takes tremendous effort. That's a tremendous... Uh, that takes exertion. That takes work. That's effort. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come automatically. It's something you have to work on. It's possible. It's doable. But you have to do it. Deliberately and consciously, you have to do it. Wake yourself up. If no one is going to give you honest criticism, honest feedback, because usually we surround ourselves with people who don't give us honest feedback. We don't like to surround ourselves with people who give us feedback. So then give it to yourself, because if you're not going to give it to yourself, no one will. So it's time to be honest with yourself. Wake yourself up a little. Stir, stir things up a little. Shake yourself. Shake, shake yourself out of your rut. Shake yourself out of your complacency. That's the first step. So this takes effort. It takes concentration. It takes a conscious effort. It doesn't just happen automatically. Most people can go through life and it never happens. We can go through life very comfortably. We don't want to be disturbed. We don't want anyone holding a mirror to us. We don't want anyone being honest and truthful. You know, truth is, truth is uh, it's like the sun. It's hard. You can't look at the sun directly. It's too, too, too intense. The eye can't... If you look at the sun directly, we can't handle truth. Truth is like looking at the sun. Someone told me when he was on a date, 
and he made up with his date, he says, he says, tonight, let's just speak the truth. Whatever you're thinking, speak. I think it lasted for 30 seconds. <laughs> truth is like a sun. We can't handle truth. So we, we, we layer it on and we cover up and we lie to ourselves and make ourselves comfortable and go back to sleep. And It's very nice, but you know, what, what kind of life is that? You, know, you go through life completely deluded, self-deluded. I mean, fine, but... I mean, you, you've only fooled a fool. You fooled yourself. What's the big deal? To fool a fool. So what? So you say, you got away with it. So no one is criticizing you, and no one is telling you the truth, and no one is giving you honest feedback, and you're just, you're just continuing without change, without nothing. And you're self-satisfied and complacent. But whom are you kidding? It's your life headline. So if you care about your life, he's talking about someone who cares about his life. It's your life that's on the line. You have a treasure buried waiting for you to extract that treasure. It's your treasure, it's your life. What are you waiting for? No one's going to do this for you. Even God Almighty Himself can't do this for you. So if you care about your life, you care about the treasure that's waiting for you, it's your treasure, you own it, it belongs to you. It's yours to possess. If you care about your life, you'll do whatever it takes to uncover the truth. Shine the sun a little. It's not so comfortable. It takes effort. Shine the sun. Be honest. But you know what? I'll do it. And I'll break my heart. But that will cause me to grow. That will cause me to move. That will cause me to change. That will get things going. That's, that's what I need. Without that, that's a non-starter. I can't even start. Unless a person is ready to be a little honest with himself and be and really... Indeed, there's no movement. You can read all the self-help books in the world. In the world. It's not going to get you anywhere. You can have all the expert advice in the world. It's not going to get you anywhere. God himself can't help you. Unless you're ready to roll up these leaves and shine the sun a little. It's a little uncomfortable, but you know what? You have to do it. Unless you're ready to inconvenience yourself. And a little, ex- a little effort, a little movement then you're going nowhere. You can go through Rosh Hashanah, you can go through Slichot, you can go through Elul and hear the chauffeur, and, and, and it's nothing. Nothing, no movement, nothing. Wasted time. Nothing. God is giving us all this energy and all these opportunities and all these, this environment and this time. and this. But unless you are ready to take the bull by the horn and ready to do something internally, really move and change and really... Then it's, it's, you know, from heaven, blessings from heaven, it's like rain. God can give us shower and give us rain, which is a tremendous blessing. If you're an agricultural society, you live, you live in rain. But if you don't plow the field and you don't sow the field, the rain is a waste. You have all this rain, all this potential. Hashem is giving you all these opportunities. Spoon-feeding you, giving you all these opportunities. Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, But if you don't take advantage of these opportunities, if you don't do your share, if you don't lift up your pinky, you don't put your pinky in cold water, you're not ready to, to, to do anything, it's not going to help, it's not going to make any difference. 
So Alter Rebbe says, listen, this is, this is for real. I'm not letting you off the hook. This is what the Rebbe said when he became Rebbe. First thing he said in his first public gathering, he, said, he told the Hasidim, don't delude yourself. Yes, I'm accepting the Rebbe, and I'm going to lead, and I'll help. But it's your life. I'm not letting you off the hook. You have to do what your mission is, and you have to do what you're charged to do, and you have to exert yourself, and you have to take charge of your life. I can help, I'm not, but it's your life. And you have to work. Unless you're ready to really make a genuine effort to discover the treasure within you that's yours, it's innate and inherent to each and every one of us, then it's, it's a waste of time. I have seven rebbies, I have nine rebbies, all this prodigious effort, all this tremendous effort and pouring of so much, and it's nothing. It's like water off our back, like, like, as if nothing happened. It doesn't come by osmosis. <laughs> you have to be ready to do the work. The internal work. That's what he's saying here. The good news is, if you do the work, it's, the treasure is ready to be claimed. But you have to do the work. <coughs> That's only part one of the effort. And the second is the exertion of the soul to reveal the powers of the soul, that the service of exerting one's thought not be burdensome to it to delve into and reflect upon the greatness of Hashem for a long and uninterrupted period. And the second part is, once you've removed the obstacles, the ego is no longer in your way. You're hungry. You're thirsty for godliness. You're hungry. You have an appetite. You're, you're, you're open. You're seeking. You're searching. You're, you're stirred up. You're inspired. You're, you're ready. Now there are no obstacles. You've discovered the wealth. But now you've got to draw the well water. From the depth to the surface. To roll the bucket and bring it up. I have to be able to make it a conscious part of my life. That it should affect my behavior, affect my personality, my emotions. This takes a tremendous effort. Now I have to have the ability to be able to focus. And to concentrate. Because this is not something that you, that you just think about for a moment and you have it in the pocket. No, this is... This, takes concentrated, sustained concentration. It's something you have to develop, you have to cultivate each and every day. You have to make it a part of your daily life. You have to think about it and you have to chew in it and you have to meditate in it and you have to focus on it and concentrate on it until it becomes a reality for you, a conscious reality for you, a vibrant, dynamic, joyous part of your life. There are no shortcuts. That's what he's saying. There are no shortcuts. You can't just think about it for a moment. Like faith. I believe. It means nothing. Of course I believe. Everyone believes. The thief who steals also believes. He even prays to God, as the Talmud says. That he should have a good, a good, he should have a successful night. He's stealing and he's praying. It, this is when it's not mature, it's not developed, it's not sustainable. But in order to, that this faith should really be a force in your life, a real force in your life. Of course, deep down we all know we all want to be healthy. But how many of us act on that? 90% of us actively lead unhealthy lives. We know deep down we want to be healthy. But in order to make it a sustainable part of your life, of your daily life, 
you should exercise and you should eat well and you should eat properly and you should sleep well and not be too um, and be relaxed and you know the whole to be to live live a healthy lifestyle a sustainably healthy lifestyle you have to be constantly focused and concentrated and constantly think about it and constantly educate yourself and constantly inspire yourself there are no shortcuts there are no shortcuts in life even instant coffee is not instant nothing in life comes instant everything takes time anything good in life takes time anything real in life takes time look at all the classics the classics were written by people who have been working on their art and their profession for years and decades perhaps until they developed something that's worth reading hundreds of years later. Nothing, nothing real in life comes instant. Anything instant is instantly disposable, instantly forgettable. But something that's real takes time. You know, when you eat, you have to eat properly. You're going to swallow it down, it's just going to give you a stomachache. It's, it's not going to... You have to chew, you have to eat, you have to digest it. So in order for this idea, the sense of godliness to be real in your life, you have to have the zitzflesh. You have to have the focus and the concentration and the dedication to think about it, think about it very deeply, close your eyes, remove all distractions, and just think about it. And this is true. This is true in general when a person is dedicated to learning and understanding to learning Torah. There's two parts to that effort of learning Torah. One part is to remove all distractions because our mind wanders. You know, we have our mind is thinking about so many things and it takes a long time until we're able to focus on the subject at hand. Because when we're learning, we're not really into it. We're still thinking about the 20 other things that we still have to do. So the first effort is just to remove all the distractions. And sometimes it takes a good hour or two of learning till you really get into the subject, till you totally remove all the distractions. Now I'm present. I'm concentrated. I'm in the zone. Now the learning begins. Now you can spend another good two hours to really get into it and go deeper and you lose all sense of time. And so there's two types of efforts. One effort is to remove all distractions. And the other effort is once you have already removed all distractions, now I can focus. Now I'm in the zone. Now I can focus and concentrate just on the subject matter in a very deep way, in a very concentrated way. With every fiber of my being, every bone in my body, I'm totally present in the moment. And I'm totally here and focused and I'm into it. And I'm 100% present. Now the work begins. Once you're 100% present, once you're in the zone, now I'm just beginning. Till now, I spend all this time just getting in the zone, just, just, just removing all the distractions. Now, once I'm, in, I'm present, now I'm just beginning. Now I can f- totally focus, totally concentrate, and really get deep into the matter. And then you can personalize it, you can, you can internalize it, then it comes alive. But this takes effort. This takes a tremendous amount of effort. He says there, mighty, a great and mighty exertion. Double and redoubled effort. This takes a lot of energy. To get this whole process going takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of commitment, takes a lot of time. And time. You need time for this. There's no shortcuts. Yes, we're living in the instant age and everything happens one, two, three, but you know, there are no shortcuts. You just need the time. 
the prayer hasn't been shortened in the year 2009. It's the same prayer, same long prayer. You need time. You can't jump to Shmonesra, you can't jump to the peak. You have to work through all the stages. You have to climb the ladder, step by step. And it takes dedication, it takes devotion, and concentration, and commitment. And then, slowly but surely, then you're able to fully activate this potential and make it a real part of your life, an enriching part of your life. So he's giving us good news and he's telling us the truth. There's, there are no shortcuts. No one can do this for you. And it's going to take you time. It's going to take time out of your life. You're going to have to dedicate time out of your life. Now, if you don't spend the time developing your sense of godliness, unfortunately, it's not like you're saving time. Because that time will be, will be used in, in negative ways. Wasted. Wasted time, and it's going to lead you to paths that's just going to give you so much heartache. You're going to end up spending time. You're not saving any time. So you might as well take the time, spend it wisely. Take the time, as much time as it takes, and develop the sense of godliness. Make it a daily part of your life. Make it a real part of your life. That you spend time learning, you spend time understanding, you spend time digesting, you spend time internalizing, you spend time concentrating and focusing on it and chewing on it and developing. And this is time well worth spending. For this measure of time necessary to immerse oneself in a godly concept in order to arouse love or fear of Hashem is not the same for every soul. Some people require more time others less. There is the naturally refined soul which immediately upon considering the greatness of Hashem attains a fear and dread of Him. As is written in Shulchan Aruch, Aruch Chaim, section 1, that when a man reflects that the great king, the supreme king of kings, the holy one, blessed be he, with whose glory the whole world is filled, stands over him and sees his actions, he will immediately be overcome with fear. And as the Shulchan Aruch concludes, he will be humbled and abashed before Hashem. This is true of one whose soul is naturally refined. He is immediately overcome with fear without great effort or time required on his part. So this is right in the beginning of the Code of Jewish Law. That when a person wakes up, he has to meditate and reflect on the idea that Hashem is watching over you. And then as soon as you meditate and reflect on the idea that Hashem is standing over your bed, you will jump out of bed wake up to serve Hashem. So even someone whose soul is refined, at the moment he thinks and reflects on the idea that Hashem is standing over his bed, it's so real, it's so concrete to him, that he reacts, he jumps out of bed. It's a reality to him. He can almost see it. He can almost picture it. Just like if a king was standing over his bed. Imagine a great person was standing, you woke up in the morning and Einstein was standing next to your bed. Right? He would jump out of bed. So how multiply that infinite times. So what's uh, Hashem Himself is standing over you, literally, personally standing over you, watching you personally, individually. So the moment this Jew thinks about it, he jumps out of bed. But even this Jew has to think about it. He has to reflect on it. Because he's just waking up in the morning. He's like a child. So no matter how great you are, 
It's all potential. When you wake up in the morning, you're just filled with potential, but you have to develop that potential. Einstein is born with the potential to be Einstein, but he's not born Einstein. He has the potential. If he'll work, if he'll work his mind, he'll develop and turn into an Einstein. So even this great Jew, all it takes is a little reflection and immediately jumps out of bed. But he has to reflect, he has to think about it because he's just woke up. He's like a clean slate. He's fresh. He's a brand new person. It doesn't help him what he felt yesterday, the day before. Now, it doesn't just come naturally, instinctively. For any human being, no matter how great they are, it doesn't come naturally, instinctively. You have to stop and think. But when this Jew stops and thinks, he immediately responds, immediately reacts, and he jumps out of bed. Now, in the Code of Jewish Law, in the, in the first version of the Alter Rebbe, this is all he brings. In the second version, the latter version, he adds. He adds that, and if you think, and it's difficult for you to sense, sense godliness, But even this person, if you think very strongly, if you think very hard, even that person will be able to develop a sense, a sense of God. And then he says, it's possible. A Jew who sinned. And when a Jew sins, it weakens you. It weakens your soul. It clogs your mind. Especially sexual sin. It affects your mind. And therefore, it doesn't allow you to sense godliness. It interferes with your sense of godliness. You may be brilliant. And philosophically, maybe everything makes sense. But you don't feel anything. It doesn't inspire you. It's not a living, breathing reality. Because your sin gets in the way. So for that Jew, it's not enough to think. It's not enough even to think very, very deeply and very intensely. For that Jew, he also has to do teshuva. He has to remove the blockage. Like a well that dries up. What happens when the well dries up? You dig deeper. So when a Jew sins, what do you do when a Jew sins? The well dried up. You're alienated. You feel alienated. You don't feel any connection to godliness. You feel like a stranger. You don't feel at home. You don't feel comfortable. You feel disconnected. It doesn't inspire you. The words like like falling on deaf ears. You hear it, but it doesn't mean anything to you. You sinned. You severed your connection. So how do you come back alive? When you do teshuva, you go deeper. When you dig deeper, then the fresh waters come, come to the surface. It refills the well. Now you have fresh water coming back. Now you feel alive again. Now you feel inspired again. Your innocence returns. You feel connected again. You feel wholesome again. You feel cleansed. You feel washed. The negativity is washed away. The ill feelings, the alienation, the, the hard feelings between you and Hashem are wiped away or washed away. It's cleansed. The Hebrew word for atonement comes from the word kapara, comes from cleansing, a tremendous cleansing. It's cathartic. It clears 
the arteries are clogged and suddenly the arteries are clear. The blood flow, flows again. You feel youthful again. You feel your heart pumps again. You feel moved, inspired. This is all through Teshuvah. But without Teshuvah, the arteries are clogged. The well is dry. There's no movement. So in that case, it's not enough to think, to meditate. It's not even enough to meditate very intensely and very deeply. But in that case, you also need Teshuvah. But if you want you do Teshuvah, then it's possible for each and every Jew to get in touch with that sense of godliness, to have that sense that Hashem is standing over them, that the King of Kings, the Creator of heaven and earth, the King of Kings is personally standing over me and watching me personally and cares about me personally. And everything that I do and everything that I think and everything that I say really matters to me. To have that sense, that real sense, real life sense of the reality of Hashem. Sense that godliness, that godly sense. Not just to know it intellectually, philosophically, abstractly. For that you don't have to do do teshuvah. But to really be able to sense it and feel it in a real way, for that either you have to be a very refined soul, as we just learned, a very special soul, a soul that's finely tuned, that's tuned in, that just naturally responds to godly things, gets excited about godliness. And the truth is we all have that deep down inside of us. Because any Jew, when he hears godly things, he gets excited. You can't even explain it. Even things you don't even understand. When you hear about it, you get excited. Because we do have a, a deep down, we have that fine-tuned, that fine-tuned sense. But some souls are not so fine-tuned. And they don't respond to godly things, it's spiritual things. So those souls have to work very, very hard. You have to dig deeper. Those souls have to think very intensely and very deeply. But if they will think very intensely and very deeply about godliness, ultimately, eventually, they will feel some sense of godliness. But if a soul sins, especially a sexual sin, that clogs the heart and clogs the mind and clogs the soul, then you have to do teshuvah. You have to break through. You have to cleanse. You have to clean the system. And that comes through teshuvah, through very deep. You have to dig very deep, even deeper. And you have the deep feelings of regret, the deep feelings of stirrings of the heart, of teshuva. And that allows you to feel and to sense godliness. So, again, it all takes effort. Even the first level also comes through effort. You have to think and reflect and meditate, and then you'll respond. Then this refined soul will immediately respond. But you also have to reflect doesn't come naturally, doesn't come distinctly, and doesn't come automatically. No deposit, no return. You have to invest. You have to exert yourself. If you exert yourself, you will be rewarded. You will see results. Some souls have to exert themselves even more. And some souls have to exert themselves even more. But either way, the ability is there. Every one of us, no matter how far we are, no matter what souls we are, no matter what level we're at, at any time, at any place, 
Each and every one of us has the ability to discover that treasure that's there deep down inside us. To reveal, to expose that treasure, reveal that treasure, access the treasure, and use the treasure. We have the ability. That's the good news that he's telling us. Saying it's not easy. I'm not promising you uh, an easy trip. But it's there. The ability is there. Then there is a soul that is of lowly nature and origin, coming from the lower gradations of the ten spherot of Asiya. Within the world of Asiya itself, the lowest of all worlds, this type of soul comes from the lowest of the ten spherot. It is thus a soul of lowly nature and origin, which finds it difficult to conceptualize godly matters. And it is unable to discover godliness by contemplation, except with difficulty and forceful insistence. Only by expending a great amount of effort and contemplating godliness for a long stretch of time will it be able to secure a degree of godly illumination and conceptualize a notion of godliness. Only then will this contemplation penetrate such a person so that he will be fearful of God. So due to no fault of his own. And by the way, this has nothing to do with intelligence. He could be a, a very brilliant person, but he has no sense of godliness. He just, godly things just leave him cold and indifferent. He just doesn't respond to it. It doesn't mean anything to him. It's irrelevant to him. Talk to him about business. Talk to him about things that are tangible. Here he gets all excited and he's, he, could be, he could be brilliant. But godly things, he has no, doesn't understand. He can have someone who's not so brilliant. But he hears anything godly and he just responds to it. His soul responds to it. His soul just comes from a, from a deeper place. And versus the other person whose soul went through the path of, of a much lower world and emerged from a much lower world and therefore his shell, his body is, is, comes from a much lower place and therefore he doesn't respond to godly things naturally and instinctively. But nevertheless, even this soul ultimately has a godly spark. And therefore, if he'll try very hard, if he'll dig very deep, he will find it. The water is there. Some souls you have to dig very deep. Some souls it's right, it's right, right <coughs> under the surface, right beneath the surface. Like they're carrying the souls on their sleeve. It's right there. You can see it. You can sense it. And other people, but with tremendous effort, continuous effort, daily effort, if they really work hard and they're really determined and really committed and really care about discovering this treasure, there's nothing stopping them. Eventually they could make godliness a part of their life and they can develop a real sense for Hashem, a real sense of Hashem's presence in their life, where Hashem becomes a reality for them, so much so that it will affect their behavior, affect their thought, affect their speech, affect their action. So they have to work very hard. But it's there. The potential is there. There are people who are born who are naturally bright. And there are some people, some of our greatest geniuses were actually born with very simple minds. But they had such a determination, they had such a will, desire to, to understand that they... They just would persist and they worked so hard. And they had heads of stone and, and they just couldn't understand. But they just wouldn't give up. 
they would learn it and repeat it and go over it again and again and break their heads, literally break their heads until they figured it out. But that's such a willpower, such a desire to achieve, to accomplish, to understand, to get it. And they wouldn't take no for an answer. They would learn it again and again that some of them became geniuses because they developed that potential, that raw potential. Deep down, the soul is perfect. The soul, every soul, the soul has perfect potential to comprehend. But it's a very, it's a very hidden potential. But if a person has enough of a desire and enough of a, of a hunger for learning and for understanding, comprehending, there's nothing that can stop you. There's nothing in your way. As the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe said, the Talmud discusses the most difficult concepts, the most subtle arguments of two people who are arguing or coming to court, two defendants, and, and they come up with the most complex arguments that the greatest rabbis and the greatest minds are, are <laughs> trying to understand with great difficulty. How do these simple people come up with this, all these brilliant ideas? And the answer is, when something matters to you, and you care about something very deeply, if it's your rent that's on the line or something that you care about, suddenly you become Einstein. You come up with ideas that Einstein would never dream of. Because when something really matters to you, there's no limit. You can plumb the depth and you can discover all the hidden depth. You can reach into the, the raw potential of your soul. Which the soul is perfect. And the soul has tremendous potential. And you can develop that potential. So, so everyone has the ability, if only you care enough, to work hard enough to develop that potential. And if you really care enough, you can do tremendous things. You know, there was once, many times they, they saw when a person was in danger, there was a fire. And the person saved his life by hiding, by fitting into, he was able to escape. And then afterward, after the fire, they wondered, how was this person able to escape? There was no room. The bars were just too small, too narrow, and to escape. But you know, when your life is on the line, you're able to do things that ordinary people can't do. And their bodies are shrunk or whatever it was, were able to, to, to able to get out. Mothers, when their children are, are threatened, were able to lift up cars and save their child's life. What are they? Hercules? But if your child is on the line, your child's life is on the line, you discover abilities that you never even knew you had. So the potential is there. But most people never realize that potential. It's so hidden. It's so deep down. It's so raw. Most, most people never realize the potential. Unless if it's something life-threatening, something that, that, that really you care about, that's, and suddenly you discover abilities and potential you never even dreamed of yet. So he's saying, so too there's a treasure. Every Jew has this treasure. We have this fear of God, this sense of God that we get from Moses, the Moses inside of us. But sometimes to get to this treasure, you're going to have to work very, very hard. You have to care enough, 
You have to want it enough. You have to be hungry enough. And you have to dig and dig and persist and commit and concentrate deeply, intensely, again, time and again and again, daily, day in, day out, until eventually you will discover, you will discover this treasure. You will develop some, some sense of God. There are no easy, there's no easy answers. But we know the road, we know the path. Hashem doesn't ask of us the impossible. This is the beginning of the code of Jewish law. This is the foundation of Judaism. Without this sense of Hashem, without this sense of accepting upon yourself the yoke of heaven, sense of Hashem as our king, as my sovereign, and I am his faithful and loyal servant and soldier. Without this sense, this is the cornerstone, this is the foundation. Without this, there's no Yiddishkeit. Religion, new age, but nothing to do with Judaism. This is the foundation of a Jew's life. So you must develop this. So even if it's difficult, and even if you're the type of soul that finds it so difficult to relate to godly things. I just can't relate to it. I can't connect with it. It's not me. It's not. It's so otherworldly. It's so foreign to me. It's so... <coughs> you know, it's not, we're not dealing with something tangible. You can't see Hashem. You just can't relate to it. That Hashem is standing here right in front of me and is watching me and cares about me and, and what I do really matters and I don't live in isolation and whatever I do really makes a difference. It's too abstract from me. But even such a soul has the ability through tremendous effort to make that connection. If we really want. It's amazing. That's the, that's the biggest problem. Amazing. You agree with that? Yes. But if you care enough about it... It's a sense of inertia. Laziness is like a sense of inertia. You have to just make a change. That's words. That's words. No, it's not words. It's words. No, it's action. You know, if you don't make the choices, the choices will be made for you. We don't have a choice not to choose. Shem says, either choose life or choose death. Why? Why not neutral? I don't want life and I don't want death. I just want to, I don't want to choose. Just, I just want to opt out. That choice was not given to us. It's one or the other. Because you have this energy. You have this potential inside of you. You have this nuclear energy inside of you. Now, either you're going to choose, you're going to develop this nuclear energy, you can light up New York City with this nuclear energy, or you're going to destroy New York City, or you're going to self-destruct. You can't play neutral. You can't opt out. There's no cop-out. That's not a choice that's given to us. So if you're lazy and we don't make the choices and we don't want to put in the effort, the effort will be there, but it'll be in all the wrong places. Like Hashem can give a person a blessing, can bless you with wealth, but where's that money going to? Is that money going to doctors? Is that money going to go to shrinks? Or is that money going to go to healthy and wholesome and, and pleasurable activities? You can't, the choices are there. You don't have a choice to opt out. Either you're going to do the effort and do the right choices, 
And if you don't do the effort and don't do the right choices, the choices will be made for you and they won't be pleasant. That's the story of the Jewish people. Either we make the right choices, if we don't make the right choices, then we have, we have the anti-Semite to remind us. You know, you can't run away, you can't hide. The choices, are not, <laughs> that choice was not given to us. So it's for our own good. We might as well do the, make the right choice. Because the, the time you will spend, the time you will spend and the energy you will spend, Questions: Do you want to spend it in aggravation, in heartache, in counseling, in, in, in problems, dealing with problems, or wanting to spend that time and energy in, in dealing with healthy and wholesome things? So that takes a little wisdom. Torah says, "Open your eyes." A little wisdom. You're gonna, you have to make that choice. To escape is not a choice. To run away is not a choice. To opt out is not a choice. So lazy is not an option. It's not an option. Not to deal with it is not an option. You're going to have to deal with reality. And if we don't deal with reality, reality is going to deal with us, whether we like it or not. Here reality comes. Here it comes. Right? You see it every day. Right? You see it every day in your practice. If you don't, uh, reality, here or not, here I come. There's no running, there's no escaping, there's no hiding. And, and nature abhors a vacuum. It's not like there's no vacuums. You're not going to do the right thing. It will come back. Everything comes back. Everything comes back to haunt you. Everything, there's a balance in life. You, there's no running away. If, there's, if you don't do the right thing, it will be filled with something negative. So we might as well, we might as well you exert the effort, take the time, because you know what? At the end of the day, this is pleasurable. This is wholesome. This is what we want deep down. Deep down inside is exactly what we want to be. It's exactly what we want to do. It's the truth. It's rewarding. It's enriching. So you might as well do it. That's why Hashem says, anyway, at the end of the day, anyway, we're going to do it. Because at the end of the day, Mashiach is coming. At the end of the day, we're all going to discover the truth. There's no running away from it. The truth will emerge whether you like it or not. Here, the truth comes. It's, this is the reality. It's your reality. It's your truth. So deep down, you want to do this. So what's stopping you? A little foolishness. A little delusion. You want to go on back onto the cover and go back to sleep. It's more comfortable. But really, is that, really, is that what you want? It's a delusion. It's a dream. Wake up. Wake up and smell the coffee. One moment of reality is worth more than all the delusions in the world. So that's the irony. You know, it's, you want to do the right thing. But it's part of the delusion that we live in that it seems, the obstacle seems to be so big and so overwhelming. It's too much. I can't deal with it. It's, it's, it's too difficult. It's, it's too much effort. It's, that's part of the delusion. Because eventually... Deep down, this is what you want to do. So what's stopping? And there's no running away. There's no escape. You don't spend energy here. You're going to be spending energy elsewhere. So you might as well spend energy in a healthy and wholesome way. So it's not an option. Unfortunately, laziness is not an option. Hashem didn't give us that option. There's no escapism. There's no laziness. You got to make the choice. You have to have the wisdom to realize that. 
You have to have the wisdom to realize it. That deep down this is what we want to do. This is the truth. It's for our own good, for our own benefit. Hashem says, see, you're choosing life. You're choosing your life. You're choosing goodness. You're choosing richness. You're choosing a treasure. So be wise and make that choice. Because then it's rewarding. If you made the choice, that's what makes it so rewarding. The fact that you had to, it's your effort. You had to have the wisdom and you had to make the choice and you had to exert yourself. That gives you the tremendous satisfaction that you own it. It's your choice. Otherwise, Hashem could live our lives for us. He doesn't. We're not robots. We have freedom of choice. But that's what makes it all so worthwhile. That's why it's so rich, it's so rewarding, it's so pleasurable. So we become givers, we become creators. It's ours, we own it. It gives us so much satisfaction. So this is what it's all about. This is why uh, the soul came down into this world. You know, to make that choice and to own up to it and to make it your own. And that's why it's so... It's so that's, and that's when you appreciate it. And that's why it becomes so meaningful. In heaven, everything is given to the soul on a silver platter. It's almost like a slap in the face. Heaven is a slap in the face. Everything is so obvious. Everything is so clear. Everything is so self-evident. The soul doesn't have to work. There's no choices to be made. There's no effort. In heaven, there's no split between potential and actual. But heaven is boring. Yeah, but it's a reward. Only after. I'm talking about heaven before, before the soul was born. That's why the soul has to come into this world. And the soul comes into this world. And the soul has to make a choice. And the soul has to overcome a difficulty. And the soul had to have the wisdom to be able to make that choice. And you really, truly exerted yourself as we just learned. The double effort and the tremendous effort. And then you discover the treasure. And then you discover what deep down anyway you wanted to do. And eventually we're all going to do anyway. But then you own it. It gives you tremendous pleasure and tremendous... So this is what life is all about. This is what life is all about. Instead of running away from the choice and looking at it as a mountain that's so overwhelming, appreciate it. Learn to appreciate it. Learn to attack it with gusto. And this is, this is roll up your sleeve. Do the work. Do the effort. And you know, after a while, once you develop, once you cultivate and you develop a sense of godliness, then it stays with you. <coughs> if you continue to nurture it and nourish it every day of your life, you know, God becomes a reality in your life. And when God becomes a reality in your life, this is the most enriching thing. This is the foundation. This is what it's all about. Then you're, you're, you're on a set path for life. Then you're traveling on the highway, on a paved highway. Then you, you, your life, you, you march confidently down the road. You have a clear road, a clear path, an illuminated road, an illuminated path. A path that goes all the way to Abraham, all the way to the future, Mashiach. You know you're going. You know you're on the right path in life. There's nothing more rewarding than knowing that you're you're traveling on a highway. You know when you travel on a highway, you meet uh, good people. <laughs> when you get lost in the woods, you meet wolves and <laughs> who knows what you meet? Poisonous snakes, terrorists. When you're traveling on a highway, you meet good people. You're traveling with Moses, with Maimonides, with the Rebbe, with good Jews, good people. 
you know, you know you're doing something right. So it's a good, it's a good road to take. But when you get lost and you veer off the path and you start uh, fablundering, you end up, who knows where you end up. That's a very lonely road and it's a road to nowhere. It's a dead end and it's a frustrating road and it's, it's, well, there's nothing there. So it's, it's, the reward is not only in the world to come, the reward is immediately. Being able to connect with Hashem and being able to sense the reality of Hashem and being able to live your life and follow the path of the code of Jewish law, the way a Jew lives in thought, speech, and action, that lifestyle itself is the greatest reward. You're traveling on a highway, an illuminated path, on a certain path. You're connected with Hashem. You're connected with the Creator of Heaven and Earth. You're connected with the King of Kings. You're connected with the truth, with the ultimate truth, the absolute truth, the ultimate 100%. That is the greatest reward. That is the most satisfying thing of all. Knowing that your life has meaning and purpose, and you're going somewhere, and you're coming from somewhere, and you're going somewhere. Is there a richer reward than that? Is there a greater reward than that? Is there anything more enriching and more wholesome and joyful while everyone is whistling past the grave, the Jew celebrates life. Life is beautiful. This world is a garden of Eden. This world becomes this world, life in this world. As in Shabbos, Shabbat becomes a garden of Eden. Celebration. Life is a celebration. Not a pain, but a celebration. Life in this world, in the here and now, in the physical, in the real, in the concrete. So this is the greatest reward. So yes. You have to overcome your laziness and overcome your inertia and overcome that inner obstacle. That's why he says it takes tremendous effort. That's the inner effort to overcome our inertia because it feels so natural just to fall back, go back to our comfort zone. That feels so natural. It feels so unnatural to be able to go beyond your comfort zone and be able... But once you overcome that natural instinct, that is the most rewarding thing. Then you make contact with the treasure you access the treasure you use the treasure here and now in this world by living a Jewish life, a godly life, a Torah life you're accessing the treasure you're living the treasure you're spending the treasure is there anything more rewarding than that? and commensurate to the effort is the reward the more difficult it is the soul that has to work very hard Commensurate to the effort is, is the reward. Okay, and I'll conclude. Uh, David, you want to read? Especially. Especially if the soul is not only of a lowly nature, but in addition, it had been defiled by the sin of youth. For one sins interposed between a Jew and Hashem, as it is written in Sefer Hasidim. So the sin of youth refers to um, sexual sins, which come from being hot-blooded and usually are sins of youth um, and they affect the mind more than any other sin they affect the mind because it affects the whole your whole being it affects your pleasure it affects your mind it affects the deepest parts within you so when it's not when the sexual energy is not expressed properly within marriage and, um, and expressed properly when there is um, extramarital, premarital, or, or, or masturbation, or any of the other things where the waste of the seed, um, they actually affect 
the mind, they affect your mind. The sperm originates from the mind. And um, clogs the mind and clogs the soul. So sexuality is something that's very deep and touches us in the deepest place. There's nothing holier than sexuality. Only Gaza has the ability to create, and he gave us that ability through sexual union. It's the only part of our life that touches every fiber of our being and every bone in our body and touches us so deeply and so profoundly. In Judaism, the bedroom is considered the holy of holies. When husband and wife come together, that's where God is present. The holiest act. You go to the mikvah before, the woman goes to the mikvah. Um, but if it's not done properly, then it's, it affects also very deeply. That's why nothing could be, there's nothing that could be as degrading as sex. There's nothing that could be as elevating as sex when it's done properly and in the right context and in, in, a, in love and a family and it's part of an eternal eternal um, edifice of marriage and every time husband and wife come together they strengthen the marriage and love they strengthen the marriage and are building something eternal something that will outlive them versus when sexuality just becomes reduced to chicken soup it's just for the moment living in the moment enjoying the moment there's no connection to anything past there's no connection to anything in the future and it becomes the most degrading there's nothing that can be more degrading if it's empty and meaningless and just reduced to the physical and um, actually it could be on one hand if it's in the proper context there's nothing that can bring two people closer together than sexuality on the other hand if it's not done in the proper context there's nothing that could be more isolating even in the, in the union and yet it's the most isolating the most alienating and isolating and you could, you could feel, um, and can make you feel very, very lonely if it's not in the right context, if it's just skin deep. So the sins of the youth affect the mind and, and create a disconnect between the soul and Hashem. So in that case, even if you think and meditate and reflect very deeply in godliness, it won't affect you. It won't penetrate. You won't feel godliness until you unclog your soul, until you unclog your system. But he's saying that even, even this person it's also possible to reach the level of the fear of Hashem, to sense Hashem's presence. Even this person, even a person who's been, um, who's been defiled by the sins of youth. Okay, so I think we'll continue this next week. The Rebbe would always remind us that we are a unique generation. There's never been a generation like ours, and there never will be. We are the transitional generation, the last generation of gullahs, of exile, 
and we will be the first generation of Geula, of redemption. What an awesome privilege we have, and what a sacred responsibility we carry on our shoulders. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to bring the curtain down on the Golas once and for all? Well, Mashiach himself gave the secret away in his famous encounter with the Baal Shem Tev. He tells the Baal Shem Tev that when your wellsprings and the teachings of Hasidus will spread to every corner of the world, then and only then will Mashiach come. And therefore the Alter Rebbe sacrificed his life to carry out this directive to the Baal Shem Tev by writing and publishing the Tanya. And all the Rebbe's sacrificed themselves to publicize and to expound on the teachings of the Tanya. And the Rebbe, the seventh, the Shabbos of all the Rebbe's, published over 6,000 Tanyas, literally in every city of the world. And now, for the first time in history, through LessonsInTanya.com, Tanya in depth is available and accessible 24-6 to hundreds of thousands, Jews as well as non-Jews, in dozens of countries all around the world. Now that you've had the personal experience and the pleasure to study the Tanya, we ask you to please partner with us to make the entire Tanya available and easily accessible to each and every Jew and to the entire world. Please help turn the wish of Mashiach, the dream of the Alter Rebbe, and the vision of the Rebbe into a reality. On behalf of all of us here at LessonsInTanya.com, thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. And a special thank you for the good deed that you're about to do. In honor of your tzedakah, we will merit the coming of Mashiach now when we'll learn Tanya from the Alter Rebbe himself. Thank you.